Well, hello, it's Phil with you here from Bedford, the King's Arms, and uh, thank you so much for allowing me into uh, your church family today to teach from the Word of God, where we're going to be exploring the whole subject of the Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of God. Now, I think we probably all know just instinctively that when King Jesus comes close, everything is better. When he he draws near, things in our lives improve, become more fruitful, they change. And that is our experience of the kingdom coming close. And we know that things get better when the king draws near to us. And, you know, I'll never remember the first major miracle I saw. I was just a young boy and I'd gone to a healing meeting with a quite well-known healing evangelist in this country. And I had no frame of reference for healing whatsoever. I'd never seen anyone healed. I didn't really know about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just never forget the moment where this man prayed for another gentleman whose legs were about that much shorter than each other. Uh, He had a huge instep in one of his shoes. And I remember this evangelist praying for this man. And before my eyes, his legs grown back till they were the same size as one another. And as a little 10 year old, I remember at the time thinking, that's amazing. And I remember after that night coming home and saying to my parents, Jesus is alive. Jesus is actually alive. And I had seen and tasted and felt the experience of King Jesus coming close and bringing his kingdom with him. And this is what uh, the right Reverend Dave Devilish says about the kingdom. He says the kingdom is to be our top priority. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom is to have far greater priority in our lives than concerns about material things or anything else. The kingdom has to be top priority for the church in its mission today. And I want to lean into David's statement there about the kingdom being the top priority for the church's mission today and start this little mini series you're doing by looking at the nature of the kingdom of God, the nature of the kingdom. What do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? What does that word mean and what does it include and what difference does it make to our lives? So that's what we're going to look at today uh, is the nature of the kingdom. And the first place to start really is just to underline the centrality of this teaching about God's kingdom in all of scripture. This is a central theme running from Genesis all the way through to Revelation that we particularly see Jesus and John the Baptist picking up in their ministries. At the start of both of their ministries, they both start the same call. Matthew 3, 2, Mark 1, 15. Both of them start with this same call. Repent because the kingdom of God is is near. Repent meaning change the way you think and the kingdom of God. They put these two concepts together. Both of them start their ministry in the same way. We know that Jesus spent his last 40 days of his earthly life here before he ascended teaching about the kingdom of God. Again, you can tell a lot about someone by how they spend their last days. Well, Jesus spent his last 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom. This is a theme that the early church picks up as well with over 30 references to the kingdom in uh, the epistles and the life of the early church in the book of Acts. 
And so this theme of the kingdom is coming up again and again and again. It's a central theme in the Bible. And actually, without a proper understanding of the kingdom of God, we cannot really understand how to accurately represent the king to those that are watching us, to the world around us. You know, when Jesus prayed, our father who is in heaven, your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. He wasn't just teaching us a great model for prayer. Jesus there is spelling out a whole new worldview, a whole new way of thinking about the life that we now live, that we are now to live from heaven to earth. We're a people who are asking God to bring his kingdom, the kingdom in the heavenly realms to this planet. And so the kingdom should actually shape the whole nature of our faith as Christian believers, because we are living as God's kingdom people on planet Earth today. It's the filter through which we now understand ourselves and our mission as Christians. It's to be a people of the kingdom. And so we see the centrality of this in the Bible. The second thing just to underline is a definition of the kingdom of God. When we talk about kingdom, what do we mean? And how is the kingdom different from the church? And are they different? Well, again, scripture very, very clearly tells us that the church and the kingdom are two different entities. How many of you know that all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church? I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment. If you look at even just the Greek words that are used in the New Testament, you'll see very clearly, instantly, the difference between the church and the kingdom. The word that's used for church is the Greek word ecclesia, which literally means those who've been called out, a gathered people who've been called out of one thing and gathered together in another thing. And so the church, we are those that are the called out of God, the new community of God that he's gathered together under his shepherding. We're the people of God, the ecclesia, the gathered church of Jesus. But the word that's used for kingdom is a different Greek word. It's the Greek word baselia, which literally means someone's rule or realm, someone's rule or realm. And so when we're thinking about the kingdom of God, then we are thinking about the rule and the realm of King Jesus. We're thinking about everything that has his jurisdiction over it. And so all of the church, the gathered people of God are in the kingdom. We are under the king's rule. But actually, when we pray your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven, we're not just praying for the church to grow. We're praying for the whole earth to be transformed. We're praying that everything from uh, arts to science to education to governance to finance to gardening to poetry to sport to technology. We're praying that all of these things on planet Earth get infiltrated by the rule and the realm of King Jesus. Psalm 24 says it this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And this is really crucial for us because we are called to not just have a passion for the church, but to have a passion to see the increase of God's kingdom on planet Earth. Now, the church is God's primary agent 
to bring the kingdom to planet Earth. We are God's ambassadors bringing to planet Earth the good news of the gospel, the good news of King Jesus. But it's important for us to not get parochial, to just think about the gathered church and have a kind of huddle mentality. The church that's been called out of the world and keeping ourselves to ourselves. No, 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 that's not our mandate at all. Jesus says, listen, pray your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying that the rule and the realm of King Jesus gets extended over everything on this planet. You know, the the kingdom is like the king. The kingdom of God reflects King Jesus. What he is like is what his kingdom is like. It flows from him. It flows from the nature of God as our king. And so all that we find in the person of Jesus is what we're praying for on the earth. We're praying, Jesus, just as you are totally loving, just as you are totally light, just as you are totally good, just as you are totally just, just as you are perfect in all of your ways, just as you love righteousness and peace. So, King Jesus, let your kingdom come on the earth. Infiltrate this planet, Jesus with your kingdom. And so that's our definition of the kingdom. It's the rule and the realm of the king. That's what we're praying for when we pray for the increase of his kingdom. And this is wonderful because it means that we can celebrate every good thing that we see happening around us, whether it's inside a church meeting or whether it's outside. You know, so think of my friend, uh, Johan Anderson, who is an artist. He actually comes from Bedford in the UK, but he now runs an art gallery in Los Angeles. And he is an incredible artist. He's an incredible painter. And, you know, sometimes I think our temptation is to bring people like Johan, a gifted painter, and say, listen, come and paint in the church meeting. Well, that's actually not what he's called to do. He's called to put on display the glory of God, where the king has called him to have greatest influence. And that's in the artistic community. It's in the world. It's with people that don't yet know Christ. And so I celebrate Johann's work as a bringing of the kingdom where God has placed him as salt and light. I saw one of his paintings that he painted of a prostitute, a sex worker in the Bronx in New York. And it was just a portrait of her face. And somehow he managed to capture just the the kind of pain and the anguish of the lifestyle that she was living. And after he painted this particular painting of her, he showed it to her, almost showed back to her her own reflection. And she was so moved at what she saw in her own face, what he'd managed to capture, that she left that industry and began to get her life cleaned up and healed up and redeemed. You see, Johan is being salt and light for the kingdom where God has placed him. And we celebrate that because that's about the extension of the rule of King Jesus. So what about the kingdom in context? So first, we've seen the centrality of the kingdom. Secondly, we've defined the kingdom as the rule of God. But thirdly, how do we understand the kingdom, particularly in Jesus' context? Because Jesus came preaching The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And it would seem that the people around him in first century Jerusalem, 
really understood what he was saying. They understood the significance of this language he was using. And for us, perhaps we lose the significance of language because we're not seeped into that context and culture of Jesus' day. But for the hearers of Jesus' message of the kingdom, they would have had a rich understanding of what Jesus meant when he said to them, the kingdom of God has now come close. Because Jewish people, Jewish believers in the first century were, this is your long word for for today, they were eschatological dualists. Eschatological simply means the end times. And what they believed in is that there were history would be separated into two ages. There were dualists. They believed in one age, which was this present age, which was characterized by suffering and pain and difficulty and injustice and all the things that a lot of them lived with in their daily lives. The the imperfections of this current life, this current age. But the average Jewish believer, because of their reading of the Bible, also believed in a second age to come, a second eschatos, an end moment. And this second age, God would come and he would right every wrong. He would bring his kingdom to the earth. And as he brought his kingdom in the second age, he would wipe every tear. He would cause every injustice to be righted. He would come and cause the lame to leap like a deer. He'd cause the blind men to see. He'd cause those with leprosy to be cleansed. When the kingdom came in the second age, they believed that the king would sort all these things out. The king would come to his people and bring redemption and bring healing and bring restoration. And so the great hope of the Jewish people was for the kingdom of God to come and that it would come through God's ambassador, the Messiah, the king from heaven. And they got these hopes largely by reading the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied things like to us, a child is born and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. They would read these kind of kingdom scriptures in Isaiah And it would fuel their expectation and their longing that one day Messiah would come and he would right every wrong. They were longing for the coming of the kingdom. And so enter Jesus, who begins to teach the kingdom of God has now come. And they understood perfectly what Jesus meant. There's that moment where Jesus rocks up to his hometown synagogue in Galilee and it says he read the scroll of Isaiah. Remember that moment, you can read about it in Luke 4. And it says as Jesus read the words of Isaiah, he reads this kingdom manifesto. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he looks at the crowd who are watching him in the synagogue and he says to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it says every eye was fastened on Jesus. Why? Because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying today in me, the kingdom that you are all longing for has now arrived. 
the future age that you're longing for has broken into the present in me and new creation has already started in my life. And that's why just a few verses later, they try and throw Jesus off the cliff and kill him because they understood what he was claiming. He was saying, I am your king and in me, the kingdom has now come to planet Earth. And what happened in Jesus is the future age broke into this present age. There is now an overlapping of the two ages because Jesus, our Messiah, has come from heaven to earth. And in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he has now started this kingdom project. It's an amazing, amazing truth for us to live in as a reality now. We are the kids of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. So what then do do we do about this message? What difference does it make to our lives? Well, listen, the kingdom of God has a clear Mandate. When we're thinking about the nature of the kingdom, there are certain characteristics of the kingdom that help the believer understand their role as bringers of the kingdom in their everyday lives. And as I said, for the average Jewish reader, their understanding of the kingdom was largely informed by the prophet Isaiah. He was a little bit like the IMAX cinema of scripture. He was a prophet that prophesied on a different scale and with a different colour palette than perhaps any other Jewish prophet. And he spoke regularly about what the kingdom is like, what the characteristics of the kingdom are like. And for us, really, this is our kingdom manifesto from God, our kingdom mandate that we are to go and bring wherever we go. And so let me just mention seven characteristics very quickly of the kingdom. The first characteristic is deliverance and salvation. We see this all the way through Isaiah, Isaiah 61. We've read it already that Jesus, the Messiah, comes to bring liberty to the captives. And so our first kingdom manifesto and mandate is to bring salvation and to bring freedom to the oppressed and those who are bound up. That means that whenever you find yourself in a situation where you are encountering people who are oppressed, who are under a heavy load, who are who are uh, under a, a, a weight of the enemy in their life, you know your mandate as a kingdom child of God. You're called to bring salvation, to bring deliverance. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was just walking along the street one day and a, a lady with heavy shopping bags and small children suddenly collapsed in the street. So my friend rushed over to help her And uh, as she was helping us, she said, listen, could I just pray for you? And this woman said, please, please pray for me. She said, I've got chronic fatigue, ME, and often my strength just disappears and I I just cannot even make it home sometimes. And so my friend just began praying for her in the street and she just prayed for the love of God to fill this lady. And as she prayed, this lady began to kind of get delivered right there on the street in Bedford. And she was so kind of surprised by what was happening to her. She said to my friend, what, what's happening to me? And my friend just said to her, well, sometimes when the love of God comes in, bad stuff has to come out. And God right now is showing you how much he loves you and he's removing bad stuff from your life. And she led that lady to Christ right there on the street. 
because she understood her mandate as a child of the kingdom of called to bring salvation, to bring deliverance. Second characteristic we see is righteousness and justice mentioned many times throughout the pages of Isaiah. Again, what do we do when we face injustice, when we face poverty, when we face things that just aren't right in the world? Well, God has called us to be a voice for the kingdom of God, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Thirdly, peace is a beautiful characteristic of the kingdom of God. We're called to extend the reign of the prince of peace. That means that every time you see someone who's in distress or in chaos or confusion, you already know your kingdom mandate. You don't need a special word from God. It's right here in the Bible. You are called to extend the peace of God into chaos and darkness. Isaiah says to us, a child is born and he will be called Prince of Peace. Again, I remember uh, Carol, my wife, being in a waiting room in a hospital in Spain, having just broken her arm five minutes after starting our holiday. And uh, it was a bit of a write off of a holiday. But in that first day, she was in this waiting room in excruciating pain. She said she could just suddenly feel self-pity knocking at the door of her heart. And she said, I just knew I had to make a decision to either give in to self-pity or to live as a child of the kingdom. And so she said, I, I made the choice. I'm not going to live as a victim in this moment, but I'm going to give away what I carry because I'm a Christian. And so instead of feeling sorry for herself, she decided to just start praying for all the other patients that were also in pain, that were waiting to be seen by doctors. People were on trolleys, people had bandages, people had wounds. And so just where she was sitting in her heart, she just began praying under her breath for the presence and the peace of God to fill that waiting room. And she said within a few moments of praying, she could just feel the spiritual atmosphere shift in that place as God's peace began to come. That's what you carry all the time. You've got peace to give away. Next, we see joy. Joy is just a beautiful characteristic of the kingdom of God. You are called to spread happiness and laughter. And I don't know where we got the idea that the church was meant to be more like a museum than a party. We should be the happiest people on planet Earth because we have been saved by the Saviour. So we actually now have lasting joy to bring, not just happiness, but lasting joy that actually outlives our circumstances. A joy that's rooted in knowing God, we have that to give away. Again, I'll never forget to come to Bedford and meet my friend Tony for the first time. And Tony probably was the happiest Christian man I think I'd ever met up to that point. And in every church meeting, he was pogo sticking around like Tigger on steroids. He was shouting Jesus at the top of his lungs and he was loud. He was noisy. And man, he just really offended a lot of quite religious people who don't like laughter in church. And what we would often do if people got a bit offended at Tony's volume and joy levels, it was we would just say, why don't you go and talk to Tony and ask him about his story? And when they do that, they would discover that Tony was a many years heroin addict who had been saved by Jesus out of the most desperate circumstances 
and God had put his life back together. And he was the most excited man on planet Earth about Jesus. And he is now happily married. He has his own family. He's in a great job. God has taken him literally from a heroin addict to someone who is now a pillar in our community. Of course, he's happy about it. And listen, we have joy to give away. God's presence is the fifth characteristic we see. Just this beautiful sense of God's nearness. And again, we're called to bring that whenever you find an absence of God or an absence of his light or his 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 presence. Then we we know that we carry that wherever we go. God's presence isn't an, isn't in a special building. His presence rests in special people. So therefore, you can bring God's presence into situations that need it. Sixthly, healing. We love to see healing. And again, whenever you encounter the sick or those in pain, you, you, you've got just standing orders from Jesus. The same standing orders that he gave his disciples in Luke 9. He just said, listen, guys, go and heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of heaven has come near to them. Those are the same standing orders that we now have. Just a quick story of a lady who's a prison warden. She, she wrote this. She said, I started work this afternoon and was expectant about what God wanted to do. I offered to pray for one of our residents who had four of his toes broken in a fight just this week and had his foot in a boot. I shared a story of God healing someone's ankle out in the streets a while back and he was happy to let me pray. After prayer, all the pain in his foot completely disappeared and he took his boot off, wiggled his toes and walked around the room without his crutches. This is happening in a prison in the UK. He opened up about some of the roots of his alcohol addiction and I got to pray and prophesy over him. I checked on in on him just now and he is still completely pain free. And we're now going to start a one to one alpha on Tuesday. What a wonderful end to the weekend. <laughs> Healing. When God comes close, when the king comes close, it brings healing to those in pain. And then lastly, seventhly, the last characteristic of the kingdom in Isaiah is comfort. It's comfort. We comfort those who are in distress. We comfort those who are grieving. We comfort those who are mourning. You know, sometimes God's kingdom doesn't look like instantaneous healing. Very often it looks like comfort for those who need to know God's nearness, that God is close to the brokenhearted. And again, you and I carry that because of who we are. So in conclusion, let me just read you a quote and issue you with a challenge. The quote is from Jack Hayford and he says this, Jesus builds the church, but he told us to seek the kingdom of God. Because believers have lost the kingdom mentality, the church often has wandered from fad to fad, looking for contemporary relevancy. The church has no identity or power to affect cultures because we've lost our understanding of the kingdom. But it's in the kingdom of God that believers will discover their real identity and will understand their mighty mission here on earth. Friends, my challenge to you this week is to look for one opportunity where you can extend the kingdom of God into somebody else's life or some other situation. Look at those seven characteristics that I've just mentioned 
And remember that you carry the answer to the world's ills and the world's pains. You carry them with you because you belong to the king and you are now an ambassador of the kingdom. So pray this week that God gives you just one opportunity. It might be to pray for someone who's in pain or bring comfort to someone who's in distress or to bring joy to someone who needs to laugh. It may be something very, very simple, but ask God for an opportunity and I believe that he will give it to you. Guys, go and extend the kingdom and God bless you. Thank you so much for listening.